Hey, what's good, family of God? Uh, I hope that y'all are doing well. Excited to start this new sermon series with y'all, and we have a bunch to cover, so I'm just gonna go ahead and jump right in. Uh, We're beginning a brief three-week series really looking at the pillars of character, really the pillars of our faith in a lot of ways. And so 1 Corinthians 13 says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. They're the pillars in our walk with Christ in a lot of ways. And so we want to tackle all three. What does it look like to abide in Christ? How is it that we grow in Christ? And really, how is it that we actually apply these things into our life? After this series, we're going to do a short uh, little couple of mini sermons almost, and then we're going to jump into a justice series as we head into the fall. So I'm excited about what's coming up, all right? And yes, in the justice series, we want all the smoke, all right? We coming for you, so hold on to your PJs, all right? Um, and so today, uh, I want to kick off the series looking at the idea of faith. Why is faith important? Uh, and for the sake of clarity, when we are using the term faith today, and even when the Bible uses the term faith, it actually uses it in several different ways. And so for the purposes of the sermon today, I'm talking about the idea of trust. What does it look like to trust God? Why is trusting God so important? And how is it that we actually trust God more? How do we grow in our trust? Or when we don't trust God, how do we overcome that? And so we'll kind of look at all of these things today because a lot of us be saying we be trusting God, but then COVID comes and wrecks all of our plans. And all of a sudden we like, I thought we was on the same team, God, right? Like, I thought it was me and you, fam, all right? And so how do we actually grow in this, all right? What does it look like to grow in trust? And so uh, when we have this pillar, then when the winds and the waves of the world come at us, we are actually standing strong because we're standing on something that is outside of us, faith in God and who God is and what God can do in our life. And so we're going to be chopping it up in Daniel chapter 3 today, so feel free to turn there. Um, And we're not going to move from there so you can camp out there. Uh, Pause the video, get your Bibles, eyes on the Word. We believe the Word of God brings life, and so we want you in it this morning. Um, To set up the context a little bit as you're turning there, Israel has actually been exiled by God into a foreign country, Babylon. And Babylon, what they would do is they would actually use different wise men to actually help govern their country. And so instead of always enslaving their captors, which they did that as well, but they would take the good ones and they would actually use them to uh, really run their government. And so there were four Hebrew men in particular, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, who were such men. Now, they actually had favor with God. And so they were quickly kind of moving up the ranks, if you will. And because humans, we love power and control, when other people saw them moving up the ranks, they got jealous of them and they wanted that rank themselves. And so there's some tension that's going to come in the story because of that. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he was into himself one day, filling himself. He was in his bag, all right? And he made this massive, massive image and told everyone to bow down to it and to worship it when they heard the music playing. And it was very likely an image of himself. Now, this obviously goes against the commands of God. And so the Hebrew boys, they could not do that. And so that's kind of the backdrop of the story. And what we're going to do with this story is we're going to look at three things, thinking about our faith or our trust in God. 
The first thing is we're going to look at the temptation. There's always a temptation to not trust God. It's the obstacle of our faith, if you will. Then the second thing we'll look at is the decision to actually trust God. It's called faith, where we decide against the odds to put our hope in God and who he is. And the third thing is going to be a deliverance of God's people. Whenever we trust God, God brings deliverance, really the reward for trusting him in a lot of ways. And so with that as the backdrop, I want to dive into our story. And we'll be reading uh, beginning in chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. And I'm going to have my great friend Lori Carlson read that for us. My husband Paul and I are members of the Cedar Park Leander CG, and I have the privilege of reading with you today um, from a beloved Old Testament story, Daniel 3, 8 through 15. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the dragon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Hey, thank you, Lori. Um, hey, notice a few things about the text. First of all, it's really clear that good old King Nebi wanted to be worshipped, all right? Uh, the word image is used 12 times in the chapter, and the word worship is used 10 times in the chapter. So maybe you even go through your Bible and maybe circle every time you see the word image and square every time you see the word uh, worship, and you'll see really the backdrop of this at large, the repetition here. So the opposition was real. So look, when any type of music comes, I want to be worshipped, is what Nebuchadnezzar is really saying here. So you got the horns, if the gospel music's playing, you're in there, right? You got the bagpipe, if the Irishmen are there, like, we want to be worshipped. And so the opposition is real. In fact, the Chaldeans, they came and they maliciously accused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of rejecting the king's orders. Now, that word translated, uh, maliciously accused, means to eat their pieces. That's the literal phrase there. And so the Chaldeans it says, came forward and ate their pieces. I don't know what that means, y'all, but that sounds like some Kimbo Slice Mike Tyson type of stuff, all right? Like, I'm going to start saying that in our staff team. Like, yo, Anthony ate his pieces, all right? Um, 
And so there's a clear temptation, right, to not trust God here. There's all of this hostility around them. They're in a foreign land under a king that God already allowed to be victorious as judgment over them. Everyone else is doing it. They're in a privileged position that they will likely lose if they don't do this. Every social and spiritual pressure is on them to actually bow down and worship at this moment. So don't just read this story. Begin to place yourself in this story. Because listen, we have a hard time being bold for Christ even when there's no threat of being killed for it. In fact, there's often not even a threat to lose our jobs or anything like that. There's really no threat except for being seen as a little bit weird or being made fun of by people that actually have no say into your identity or value anyway. And yet we still lack the boldness that it often takes. These boys, they were, they were risking everything after seeing God strip away everything from them in the first place. And so there's a strong temptation here. Further, notice the slyness of these Chaldeans here, of, of some of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's men, they come to him, and they're like, oh, blessed, right? <laughs> Most excellent and honorable king, okay? And then, didn't, now notice the pronouns, didn't you make these decrees? Didn't you make these orders? And your men that you've set up are rejecting that. They're like, look, them your boys, right? Them the dudes you was willing to ride or die with. Them your peeps, ain't they? And now they're like, yo, bump the king. I ain't gonna do that. That's the EBT version, by the way, the Abonics Bible translation, all right? Right? They're jealous, all right? They're wanting this position, and so they're trying to use the king's own words against him, and so Nebi's ego got hurt, all right? And then look, the most powerful person in the world at the time comes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and gives them mercy. He gives them another chance to worship him at this moment. And so don't read this too fast. There's real temptation to, to not trust God here. Like literally, it's hard sometimes to trust God. It's hard to worship Christ sometimes, even in our own lives. And then the culture may even come and try to re-engage us, to beckon us to begin to turn away from Christ once again. We live in the middle of a cancel culture, which is a lot like the furnace in some ways. And to say that we believe in everything that the Bible Bible says that it is for our good when the culture goes against that, it's difficult to stand fast with faith in God in these moments. I mean, we can even accidentally fall into this trap. For example, with election coming up, we tend to treat our politics often like our modern day religion, and we get more emotionally stirred with who's in the Oval Office rather than who's on the throne in heaven. Literally, if our emotions equate our worship, which they do, then oftentimes we realize our emotions get more impacted by the presidency than by the king. And literally, we worship even accidentally, not realizing we're being pulled in by our culture to worship things other than our God. And we're tempted to bow down at the wrong things. And we end up bowing down to a party, even when that party contradicts clear biblical commands the way that both parties clearly do. And so literally, they say, give me your blind allegiance. It's easy to accidentally do that. You can go with extreme examples like that with worship, even accidental examples, or really simple examples like not trusting Christ through coronavirus. And literally, there's a temptation to not trust him because it looks like we're losing things around us. And as we lose things around us, it's easy to begin to not trust God when sometimes it feels like he's even taking things from us. 
the way that these men probably would have felt. And here's the reality too, the, the temptation is really real because Nebuchadnezzar actually never says, stop worshiping your God. He just says, worship me with your God. And so he's not even trying to get them to reject their God per se, the way politics say, worship me with your God, or the way this organization says, worship me with your God, or the way your own flesh says, exalt me as you exalt Christ. There's a temptation to do that. Very rarely will Satan come in and try to get us to just completely reject Christ, right? And so we follow Jesus, but when culture says that there's something actually above the scripture, then we choose Jesus and the culture. And we think because we keep Jesus in it that we're actually now worshiping Christ when in reality, we're serving two masters and Jesus made clear, you can't do that. Or when we put our party or our organization or our flesh or whatever it might be, there's a temptation and it's not easy. And for these men, it may cost them their influence, their position, their status, even their life. And the same is true for us. You will face temptation to not trust God, family of God. How will you respond to that? Because it's so easy for us to accidentally fall into this trap, but there has to be resolve somewhere that God is good and he is who he says he is. And oftentimes, the way we fall into this trap is by believing the exact same lie that Satan spoke into Eve's ear in Genesis 3 when he said, your God is not good. And literally, because you're suffering or because you don't have blank in your life, or because you don't feel blank from God, he can't be trusted. Because you do not have this job, or because coronavirus isn't clear, or because whatever it might be, God is not good. And the temptation at this moment is to not trust. You see, they didn't know they are about to be delivered from the flames. They thought that they might die. And the temptation is real to turn away from God. So with that temptation, how does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond? And we're going to go ahead and get Michael Thompson, your husband, to read for us. Go ahead, Michael. Hi, my name is Michael. I'm a covenant member here at The Well. I also co-lead the Southwest Community Group with my wife, Stephanie and also I'm a coordinator on the welcome team. Today I'll be reading Daniel 3, verses 16 through 23. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men and took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. This is the word of the Lord. So how do they respond? They ultimately say, look, we ain't bowing down. And needless to say, Nebuchadnezzar was heated. 
Hashtag dad joke. <laughs> I thought that was good. I thought that was a good one. Okay, <laughs> uh, look, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stay strong is what happens. Despite the temptation to falter, they could have easily said, look, God knows our hearts. God knows he's our number one. Yeah. God knows that, that, that we are actually committed. Let's just do this just here. Yeah. In fact, maybe God has put us in this position that we might influence others. Why would we risk our life here? Yeah. It would have been easy to begin to create justification. They could have done multiple things, but instead they were faithful to their God. Notice some of the things that this text says here. It says that Nebuchadnezzar was furious. No one disrespects the king like this. This is the expression of his face that word face is actually the word image. And so his image was changed. The Bible is doing a play on words here. The image he wants them to worship is now when they're not worshiping, impacting his very image and things are changing. The king wants total allegiance to him. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are only willing to give total allegiance to God. The king has overthrown everyone and everything around him. He is the most powerful person in the world. And now someone is disrespecting him after he tried to extend mercy to them. And so he heats it up. In some ways, the temptation there then continues to actually falter and to back away because now it's really serious. Now they're being brought over to the furnace and the dudes that threw them in lit on fire and died, y'all. Like, dag, right? And so they're seeing this at this moment and yet they had faith. But listen, notice, 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 family of God, something really important that I do not want you to miss. That faith had to seed somewhere. That faith did not just come up randomly and all of a sudden make them brave men. It started long before this moment. In Daniel chapter one, when they refused to eat the king's food and they were faithful to their God, even before in stories that we can't read in scripture, when they're committing themselves to God in their youth or whatever it might have been, it was a moment by moment, day by day, decision by decision, where that small seed of faith began to cultivate. And as they watered it and gave it sunlight and proper shade, as they trimmed the dead branches and as they pruned their faith, as they rooted themselves by the ever-flowing stream, which was Christ, this faith blossomed to this point. It started somewhere. In order to have a cultivated faith, you have to start today, family. It has to start somewhere. This wasn't a magical gift. This was a purposeful discipline. And they wanted to walk in that. That's how they were remaining faithful at this moment. Now, here's what I know about Satan. The enemy wants to come in now and say to you, see, that's why you're in the mess that you're in right now. Like, this is why you don't trust God, or this is why you don't have the faith that you say you have, because you aren't willing to commit yourself to God. That's why you're struggling the way that you're struggling now. And Satan wants you to get to look to your past mistakes rather than your future glory that's in Christ. Yes, you may have failed the test of faith that was yesterday, but we do not serve the God of yesterday. We serve the God of eternity, and his mercies are new upon you every single morning, family of God. And so literally, that means today you can take those new mercies and stand firm in those mercies that you might stand firm in the test that comes tomorrow. Literally, I better get at least two or three witnesses, first of all, on the mercies of God, y'all. They are new every morning. So what that you came into today struggling? Jesus wants to meet you in that and root your faith that you may stand firm for him in the future. Let me say it like this. God isn't looking to condemn you. He's looking to establish you. 
He's not looking to disqualify you or cancel you. He's looking to reinstate you, family of God. His mercies are new. And all of the other false gods that we worship of politics or human praise and acceptance or performance or money or pride or worth, our own value, all of those things, whatever we're tempted to bow down to, when we do not give allegiance to them, they actually seek to kill us in the end, to burn us away. And if we do not give ourselves to them, then they try to destroy us. They throw us into the furnace. God isn't looking to throw you into the furnace. He's looking to exalt you into the kingdom, family. Your God wants to establish you and his mercies are upon you. And as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego grabbed hold of these mercies in their youth, it actually allowed them to stand firm in this moment. Listen, those mercies are the very things that should make you want to be committed to him that he's faithful, he's merciful and gracious towards you. Now, notice how beautifully strong their faith is too. It doesn't just bank on whether or not God delivers them. It just banks on God being God. Don't miss that, y'all, okay? Many of us has a faith that only stretches to the point uh, where God chooses to do something in our life, and if he does what we like, then we believe in him, but if he does what we don't like, then we lose faith. In other words, we don't have faith in God. We have faith in the God that creates circumstances that we like. And all of a sudden, we're no longer trusting God just to be God. We're trusting our circumstances in front of us. They do not trust their circumstances. They say, even if God doesn't give us the outcome that we want, he's still God. We're still going to worship him. Their faith is rooted in God's goodness, not in their circumstances' goodness. And so often we can focus on this and accidentally miss worshiping the God of the universe. And so they know that even because of their circumstances, no matter what is happening around them, God is God. They can trust him instead. In fact, their circumstances would tell them God's not in control. But in reality, because they've known the God of the past, because they rooted themselves in him before, they now know that he is indeed in control. He is sovereign, and they trust in this. And so if God doesn't deliver us from corona quickly, or if God doesn't put the person in office that you think will create the best good for our nation and for the world, or if God doesn't get you that job or that relationship or this emotional or spiritual feeling, if God doesn't bring the justice that you know is good and needed in our world immediately, even if not, God is God, family. He is God, And how did they get here? Well, it's because they spent time in his presence and they knew that this would be true. Now, the enemy wants to once again, at this moment, say, see, you don't believe like this. And there's a potential beauty even in this, y'all. You trust God, but even if you don't, confession of doubt may actually be the very confession of faith that is needed. Literally, I believe God helped my unbelief It's okay to doubt. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego probably had these moments of doubt and of fear, even here, right? Shadrach was probably like, hey, look, we're going to stand up to this king no matter what. And Meshach was probably like, (laughs) straight up, (laughs) right? All right, I guess we are, okay? And so doubt isn't necessarily the antithesis of faith. Listen, it can be, but to forget who God is, that's the more common enemy, 
when we forget the goodness of God, do you trust God no matter the circumstance in front of you, no matter how disappointing or scary or bleak these men did and it got them tossed right into the flames? So I wanna finish our story here because when we trust God, I want you to know there will always be deliverance, always. When we trust God, God will always deliver. So let's read the end of the story. I'm gonna have my good friend Jen read it, uh, 24 through 30. Hi friends, my name is Jennifer Newell. I'm a covenant member at The Well and I'm a CG Shepherd of the Domain Community Group. And today I'm gonna to be reading from Daniel 3, 24 through 30. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not cinched, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jim. Uh, now you may have said, wait, always deliverance? Yes, there will always be deliverance. They knew that their God would deliver, if not from this fire, from the eternal one. That's where their confidence of God came. See, we often think about the situational deliverance, but God will deliver us. He may not deliver you in the way that you want to be delivered, but because he delivered his son for you, you will always be delivered if you trust in God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that they served the God of the resurrection. They knew that even if if they die, yet shall they live. God will always deliver us, family. Now notice several important things here as we kind of conclude this text. Firstly, look at everyone that's involved here. In verse two and in verse four before this, and even in this passage in verse 29, there's all of these perfects and governors and, and peoples and nations and tongues. God is literally making himself known to all the nations. And not only was Nebuchadnezzar shook and humbled, but all of the nations 
Christians witness the goodness of God, to be honest, even if God didn't deliver them and they died, they would have at least seen these men's conviction about their God, and that would have been a witness in and of itself. But even more now that God has delivered them physically, likely to hopefully deliver other people spiritually, it is done before all the nations. God has always had a heart for the nations. It is impossible to read your Bible and not see God's heart for every tongue, tribe, nation, and culture to worship him. This is why we care so much about planting churches internationally into the nations because we want the nations to know the God who delivers. It's why we care about reconciliation and justice here in our nation and why we fight for justice from those who uh, it has been robbed from, from the peoples and the tongues. We strive for diversity because that is God's heart. He wants the nations to know him, to see the God who delivers and reconciles. And he's doing that even here, y'all. He's drawing the nations in. Now, how can you be delivered? How do we actually grow in our trust and in our faith? Well, I love what Nebuchadnezzar sees here. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to get everyone to worship this image, but it was a dead image, a a statue, if you will. But when Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire, he doesn't see a dead image or dead men. Instead, he sees a living image. You see, the Hebrew boys were made in the image of God, and God humbles himself and comes into the fire and in a sense, they begin to look like him. See, all these other images are dead, but our God is not an image that demands worship. He is the most high who is worthy of praise, y'all. And this is what's happening here. Rather than worshiping dead images, he makes all of us into his image and we reflect the beauty of our God. And now he's beginning to realize there's something literally divine that's happening in those flames. Nebuchadnezzar, he elevated himself in a sense to be a God, which we're all tempted to do, to put confidence in ourself above our God, to try to control our situations. How do you overcome this? You look to Jesus, y'all. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, he continued to rise himself up until he saw Jesus standing in the flames and that humbled him down to repentance. And we will continue to rise ourselves up until we fix our eyes on Jesus and that will humble us into repentance. God uses these faithful men to show the even greater faithfulness of God. God delivers and God will always deliver us as we look to Jesus. Now, the temptation for many is to end the sermon here and say, see, Jesus was in the fire with you. Right? And, and Jesus, will he'll carry you through the struggles and the trials of life. And this isn't wrong. It is good and it is true. Jesus is with us in the times of trials. But it doesn't stop there, y'all. The whole Bible is like an infomercial that's like, but wait, there's more. Right? <laughs> There's more here, y'all. There's more here. Jesus more than just walks with us in the fire, family of God. Jesus goes into the fires for us. He's more than just with us. He actually steps in your place for you. You see, Jesus here looks like the son of God, it says. We believe this is a Christophany, which means an appearing of Christ in the Old Testament. But Jesus looks like the son of God, but one day Jesus would look like a human, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he would not stay immortal where he was willing to walk through the flames. Instead, he would become mortal, taking off the divine and going into the flames and dying on our 
our behalf. Jesus doesn't just walk into the fire with us. He walks into the fires for us. The fires had no power over their bodies because one day Jesus would allow the fire to have power over his. You see, their hairs weren't even scorched or singed because one day Jesus' hairs will be pulled out as he was beaten and mocked on our behalf. This is where our faith comes from. This is where our trust gets rooted. Even more than being with us, he is for you, family of God. And so when you don't feel like he's with you, he already did it all for you. This is where our trust gets rooted. As you fix your eyes on what Christ has done for you and who he is, you can't help but to trust. You can't help but to worship this God. Jesus will deliver you. And if he has already delivered you from death, won't he give you all things? Romans 8 tells us. God will deliver because he's delivered his son for you. This is how you can grow in trust. You look to God, not your circumstance. Listen, I know it's hard right now, y'all. We're struggling because COVID may have taken family members or may have taken emotional health or economic health or whatever it might be. I know that we are entering into a divisive season in our country and we feel like we're already divided in so many ways. I know it feels chaotic and that you don't feel God fully right now. But listen, Genesis 1-2, the second verse of the Bible, shows that God always hovers over the chaos and brings order out of it. God is working even amongst the chaos. You can trust God. You can trust him. He is worthy to be praised. And as you look to God, as you remember who he is, as you begin even today, maybe for the first time, to root yourself in God, you will grow in trust and faith and you will be delivered from whatever circumstances in front of you. You can trust God. You can trust God. You can trust God. You can trust God, family of God. You can trust him. And so trust the Jesus who went into the flames for you. And no matter what happens to your mortal bodies, not a hair on your head will be scorched because Jesus went in for you. You will go from life to even greater life. What can man do to me? The scripture says, I love you, family of God. Let's go to this resurrected God in prayer. Hmm. Thank you, thank you, thank you for delivering us, Jesus. Gosh, we we can trust you. You have already delivered your son for us, Father. You went into the flames with us, Jesus, and even more for us. I pray that we would trust in you, Christ. God, for those of us who have been delivered eternally already, I pray that we would trust in you while we are here on this earth. I pray that we would build confidence in you by spending time with you even this week and by remembering who you are and what you've already done in our lives. Let us seek you in times of trial and in times of temptation. And God, I know that the temptation for all of us is to not worship you, for some of us to not worship Christ at all. And we begin to trust in all these other things to deliver I want you to know, friend, that nothing else can deliver you because no other God went into the flames for you. Money will not die for you. Even a good marriage will not be able to lay down their life for you the way that your soul needs. Only Christ has done that for you. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would trust you, that some of us maybe for the first time today would say, I give my life to you, Jesus. I don't know what this means, but I want want to trust you. I want this relationship with you. I want you to be with me in the fires. And friends, listen, this Jesus is yours if you but confess and believe. 
And God, for all of us who have confessed and believed, I pray that we would long to be with you and that even though everything around us seems bleak, you are the God of the living, you will deliver. We've seen you do it once, we've seen you do it twice, three times, we know that you'll do it again for you are the God who never changes. And so God, I pray that even as we go into this last song that we would sing about the goodness of who you are, knowing that you have already delivered us eternally, you'll do it again. And let us worship you to that end, Jesus. We love you, Christ. Praise things in your beautiful name. Amen.